Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be together. It's good to worship God and to praise him and to say that our love is big and loud and that most importantly, his love is big and extravagant for every single one of us. And uh, I just want to say, uh, I know I say this a lot, but I just want to say welcome again to any uh, guests that are with us. And uh, maybe you're just started coming and you're checking things out and, and we love that. We love new people at Hope and we pray that you feel encouraged and we pray that you feel welcomed Uh, here today. And I know that we say this quite a bit, but I think that we all need to hear it again. It is no accident that you're here today. That's not just a phrase that we say when we say it's no accident that you're here and that we've been praying for you. That's the real deal. We, we are praying for you. We are praying for the seats that you're sitting in. We're praying for this place that God has been here all night waiting for us to come and and to be together. And so uh, we believe this is no just ordinary gathering here. This is not just a bunch of random people that happen to get together. The spirit of the living God is in this place today. And that is absolutely incredible. And he has some incredible things that he wants to do in and through every single one of us. Not just those who have been here for a long, long time. Not just those who are maybe up front today or maybe the ones as you look around you and say, well, they're the ones that spiritually have it all together. But you, you, it's no accident that you are here today. And I know that that can be hard to believe, but I remember being a first-time visitor to a brand new church that my wife and I were attending uh, four or five years ago now. And, and uh, I just remember walking in, and it almost feels like you have this kind of backpack, this weight of like being a new visitor to a church, and you're just sort of walking in. And in that backpack that's really heavy on you is a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> and maybe you've experienced this. We've all been new even those of you that this is your 100th time, you are new at some point, and we start to wonder these questions. Is this a place for me? Will anyone care that I'm here? Am I really going to connect? Is the coffee going to be that nasty church basement coffee? Um, is the pastor going to put me to sleep or not? You know, the important questions, um, things like that. But also, can I grow in my faith here? Or maybe will anyone care about that? Will they care to get to know me even? Will anyone shake my hand? The things that you do to each other here on Sunday morning are powerful. The smile that you give, the hug that you give, the prayer that you offer. And so my prayer is this morning that that's the case for you. And whether it's your first time or your 50th time, there is a place for you here. And if you haven't already, or maybe by the end of our time, that you can take all those burdens and all those questions and just lay it down and that you can take a nice, deep, big breath and breathe in the love and the grace of your Savior that is yours today and truly believe, not just in word, but truly believe in your heart, I belong here. I belong here. This is a place for me. And not only that, but we believe that God doesn't want to leave you that way today, that he has a good work to do in you today. And we know that because God, this is important, God is in the business of using ordinary people to do incredible things. Because anybody relate with that? Anybody just feel a little bit ordinary today? Yeah, absolutely. We're all in that boat together. God uses ordinary people to accomplish incredible things because if we were super, if we were all Superman and Superwoman Christian, well, then we wouldn't really need the God of the universe now, would we? Right? 
So God is here today. He has a good work to do in, in us. And that is at the very heart of the message series that we're actually ki kicking off today. And I couldn't be more excited about it because we're going to be looking at a character for the next few weeks that I, would, I think would fit right in here at Hope Des Moines. He would be uh, one of our chief ushers, I think. He would, he would just fit right in uh, with our crowd. And his name is Peter. Or Simon Peter, whose name that we later on ac learn actually means the rock. Or if you explore it a little bit more, more accurately, it means rocky. That's right, Rocky, and uh, we've called this series Rocky, so I apologize if you looked ahead in the newsletter a little bit and were expecting a four-part series on the theology of Sylvester Stallone. Um, actually, that'd be a six-week series, one for each movie, or 14 of them, whatever there is. But instead of looking at Sylvester Stallone as Rocky, we are going to look at the original Rocky, who happens to be Simon Peter, who just like Stallone is actually quite the unpredictable hero. So maybe you're wondering, and I know sometimes at the front of a message you're like, okay, is this one going to be good or not? Meaning, is it going to have something to do with me? Right? A lot of times we're asking that question. And uh, it's Peter. I mean, you might be thinking he's this great Bible hero. Uh, he couldn't really have anything to do to me because the Bible heroes are up on this pedestal and I'm just an ordinary person down here. So what could we possibly learn from Peter? Well, not so fast, my friends. Let me pose a few questions for you as we get started right off the bat. Have you ever wondered if you would be stuck in a boring job for the rest of your life? Anybody feel that? Cool. You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but um, have you ever struggled with trying to fit in? Well, that's a Peter thing. Have you ever thought that your life was pretty ordinary and you hadn't quite figured out your purpose yet? You're going to click with Peter. Have you ever opened your mouth a little bit too quickly and harshly only to wish then you could take it back? You're going to resonate with Peter. Or maybe it's that you found yourself wondering if you've made just a few too many mistakes in your life. That's Peter. And I, that's me, too. And that's probably a lot of us. Have you ever felt like you're so far away and disconnected from God that maybe you couldn't be forgiven for the things that you've done? Peter's your guy. Or finally... Have you ever had an experience with Jesus Christ that was so real to you that there is no doubt in your heart that he is truly God? Then you're in good company because that's the Peter that we're going to follow together. So just to wrap up that whole section, to make sure we're on the same page, I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say, that's me, okay? So even if you didn't answer all those questions, one of those is probably connecting with you, and you're sitting there going, man, maybe this Peter's an okay guy. Let's learn more about him. So one, two, three, that's me. All right, cool. So when we arrive on the scene here, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, we're going to dive in here a little bit deeper to this story. If you're not already there, Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. That's, that's me. That is just like me. So when we arrive on the scene, we know that by this time, Peter, some people call him Simon Peter, and that's why this sermon is called 
Simon says, right? Simon Peter, same person, so don't be confused, that Peter and the other 11 disciples have been following Jesus for over two years, right? They followed Jesus for three years. That's the time that Jesus spent in his ministry on earth, and they've been, they've been walking and eating and talking and sleeping and working and learning and laughing, and I try to think of more L words, uh, living life together. These 12 guys and Jesus have been doing life together. Have you ever, that's why we call our small groups life groups. It's not just be fancy. You do life together. We're trying to model it after what Jesus did with the disciples. You do life together. So they've been doing this, and they've been living life with this rabbi from Nazareth. And you'll remember a few weeks ago, remember I drew this little chart over here, and if you weren't, just a quick recap. There's four different kind of versions of Christianity that we experience. Some of us are kind of living in a cozy Christianity, right, where we're not willing to take any risks. Some of us are living in just sort of a boring and irrelevant Christianity where it doesn't really have anything to do with your day-to-day life. Others of us are just kind of in the the do, 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 do sort of Christianity where we think we have to do all these things for God and that leads quickly to burnout and I know a lot of us have been there. And then there's this fourth quadrant which I'll call transformation. That's where transformation occurs when we accept Jesus' challenge to follow him. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. Be my disciple. Be my apprentice, which is who Peter turns out to be. In other words, this thing called Christianity is something that is caught, not taught. This thing called Christianity is something that's caught, not taught. Yeah, Jesus did a lot of teaching, but if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't spend tons of time in the synagogues. Some, but not a lot. You want to know where the majority of his time is spent with? The twelve pouring his life into these ordinary men, many of whom are fishermen. Jesus did a lot of teaching, but instead he chose to take his classroom out into the streets to the dusty roads of Nazareth and Galilee, and he spent his time out in the country in the deserts along the sea, calling ordinary men, modeling what he taught because the loudest voice is usually the one that's living it. The loudest voice, the most meaningful voice, is usually the one that's modeling it. And so remember, the invitation to Christianity starts with that invitation to relationship. That's what leads to the transformation. Not do, 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 but be, and then my doing for God comes out of my being in relationship with God. The invitation to Christianity is an invitation not to religion, not to rules, but to relationship. So Matthew chapter 16. So now when we arrive on the scene, we would think, man, these guys are pretty tight, right? Like a lot of you are thinking about your life group right now, and you probably know them pretty well. Or if you're in a Bible study or a small group somewhere, you know those people well. And you only see them probably once a week, maybe twice at worship, but you see them for a couple hours every single week, and man, we're really tight. Imagine doing every aspect of your life for two years with 12 guys. You would get very close. So you would think, I thought going into this message, you know, they would have had some things figured out right now. Mainly, who this Jesus guy is, right? Is he just some ordinary rabbi? You think they would have covered the basics by now. But then in a place called Caesarea Philippi, we hear Jesus stop and ask these guys what seems to be a pretty simple question. Look at verse 13. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man a lot. Verse 14, they replied, well, uh, some say it's John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, uh, 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 Jeremiah, or uh, one of the prophets. And then verse 14, it gets really weird, and Jesus says, what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. And it's that final statement, it's actually what Simon says, that's a good way to remember it, it's what Simon says, it's Simon Peter's answer to a pretty simple question as Jesus, one of Jesus' best friends, that scholars and theologians and great teachers and pastors and all sorts of people for centuries, that line that Peter says is called the Great Confession. There's been songs written about it. There's been books written about it. Entire theologies developed around it. It's the Great Confession. And I have to just think, and maybe you're on the same line of thinking with me, is it just me or is this something that they probably should have had figured out by now? <laughs> Why is Peter the only one out of the 12 that speaks up? This is a pretty important question. Who am I? Right? But they don't get it. They don't know it by now. I think, isn't this kind of like Jesus 101, right? If you're going to Jesus University, this would be like Jesus 101. We should probably cover this on the first day, right? So what exactly is so great about the great confession? You might be wondering that. What is so great about the great confession? I want you to hold that question with you, and we're going to explore some context. That might help. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper. What was so great about the great confession? So we know that Jesus and his disciples have stopped at a place called Caesarea Philippi, which, as it turns out, is actually the headwaters of the Jordan River, which flows all the way through the area and the region where Jesus lived during his time on this earth. And so down to Galilee and Nazareth and even into Jerusalem, the headwaters of the Jordan River start in this place. And it turns out that this is an incredibly beautiful place. Think about the, the, the most uh, beautiful garden that you've ever been in, right smack dab in the middle of the mountains. And there's flowers blooming everywhere, and there's, uh, there's gardens and streams, and it's kind of set back in the hills, and, and there's a big waterfall that comes down and feeds out into the tributaries, into the rivers that flow into the Jordan River. And it turns out that this place was so beautiful, so beautiful, that long before Jesus came, when, when, when Alexander's empire was expanding, he comes in, and of course, they're polytheists, and so what they do with this, meaning they worship many gods, they take this beautiful place that God's created, and they start erecting these statues of all their gods and all their idols. So the place is just surrounded by these temples and these monuments. Well, of course, then come the Romans hundreds of years later, and they kick out Alexander's folks, and, and they come in, and you know the Romans, they have all their gods too. So they're putting up statues of Zeus and Hercules and all these people that they worship. And so what we're standing in, in this place where our Bible reading is today, is basically a massive temple to idols. An idol being something that you worship besides God. And it's right here that Jesus stops turns around to the 12 guys that are following him and says, okay, guys, look around you. Who am I? Who am I to you? Totally changes your thinking about the passage, doesn't it? Jesus knows exactly what location to ask the right question. This is what everybody else is saying. This is, this is, this is, these are the gods that your culture for thousands and thousands of years have worshipped all around you here. And we're standing up looking at them. And this lowly little peasant man with a beard <laughs> that has is no attractive physical appearance whatsoever, this little rabbi from Nazareth is saying, okay, so who am I? 
Who am I amongst all these great and powerful gods that the culture has worshipped? So put yourself there. And Jesus asks you, standing there with the twelve, okay, insert your name, (laughs) am I just another one of these statues that's going to be crumbling and rotting in a few years? Or am I God? Am I the Messiah? Am I the anointed one? Jesus' question starts to take on a whole new significance. And of course, the disciples have no problem sharing the word on the street. So Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? He's saying that to all of them. He's, it's a plural in the Greek. He's saying that to all of them. And so you can almost hear him. Well, uh, uh, you know, some say, uh, oh, John the Baptist. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, some people say that. And, oh, Elijah. Some people say you're Eli- Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jeremiah. Yeah, you know, we just go through the list of the prophets. And, uh, you know, just, just one of the prophets. Uh, almost like... Well, duh, Jesus, you know, that's kind of the popular opinion around town, and you should probably know that. And most likely these answers that they first give Jesus are from sort of Gallup poll that they took uh, recently. And nonetheless, we know that it was impersonal, and it was only based on what they had heard other people say, not what was coming from here. It was secondhand knowledge and thirdhand knowledge. Nobody really knows at this point who Jesus is. One thing is clear nobody at this time, not even Jesus' own followers, nobody had openly confessed, You're the one. He's a good guy, he's a good teacher, he's a good rabbi, maybe he's a prophet, he did some baptizing. Oh, he healed some people. Wow, he's pretty knowledgeable, he hangs out in the temple a lot. He seems to know a lot of things and have this connection upstairs. Um, But who is he? Nobody had ever said yet in the history, who is this guy? Nobody said he's the Messiah. So in the midst of all the chatter, and you can hear the disciples talking, oh, yeah, and that Bob, my neighbor, man, he thinks he's some wacko alien or something, man, yeah. Yeah, Did you hear what the guy down the street said? Yeah, wow, you know, yeah, yeah, one of the prophets. And you can almost hear in the midst of all the gossip and all the gossip and what everybody's talking about and all the chatter, Outsteps Simon Peter, kind of shuffles his way through the group and looks right into the eyes of his Savior and says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know those dramatic scenes in movies when it's just a hush and I'm sure, I'm sure in that moment, all the other disciples are going, good try, Peter, you know, like, I wonder if he got that one. I mean, Jesus is probably going to be really mad at him. Instead, Jesus steps out and says, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah. What's so great about the great confession, you ask? Surrounded by a garden of every other God that you could possibly worship, despite all his fears, despite all the popular opinions of what it means to follow Jesus, all the popular opinions of the day, Peter looks Jesus in the eyes and says, you're the one. Not just one of the gods, not just a good guy, not just a good teacher, not just some religious prophet, not just somebody that we hang out with and worship once a week. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. You're it. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the God of the universe in flesh. 
And I just, I just wonder, it's, it's, it's almost like by Jesus' response, it's almost like he looked right through Jesus' eyes and into his soul. Have you ever had a really good friend do that? Maybe your spouse that just knows you really well, and you're having a conversation with them, and it's almost like they can see right through you, and they know you better than you know yourself. And they can speak things to you that nobody else can because they know you. That's what Jesus did to Peter that day. And Jesus knows because Jesus can look right into his heart in the deepest places of Peter. This is not the Sunday school answer, right? If you're in Sunday school, by the way, and you never know the answer, just say Jesus and you're going to get it 75% of the time, right? I have to share a quick little aside with you. One time I did that, I told my class that. The next day, I asked them a question. Three or four kids yell out, Jesus, Jesus, that's it. And the answer was actually squirrel. (laughs) So it doesn't always work. But 75% of the time, the answer is Jesus. So Peter, you would think is just, oh, he's just giving the Sunday school answer. No, that's not it. This isn't just a guess or some rote answer that Peter is feeding back to Jesus. This is the real deal. I believe, I believe that it's called the great confession, not because Peter was profound, but because Peter was real. Not because he was profound, but because he was real. Because it was an ordinary man's heartfelt response to his God. And isn't that what our Savior is looking for after all? is an ordinary person's heartfelt response to an incredible God. That's the greatest thing in the world. Not just the Messiah, but Peter's Messiah. And in that moment, it couldn't be more real for Peter. And I want to ask you this morning, is it real for you? Are you the one that steps through the group and says, I don't care what anybody else thinks. You're the one. You've changed my life. You're worth following. Or are you going to stand and just gossip and talk about everything under the sun? Or are you going to step out in boldness and say, you are the Christ and I will follow you no matter what? His Messiah, not just a Messiah. Could it be that Jesus doesn't want us to just know about him? He wants us to know him in a deep and real way, like you know your best friend. Even deeper than that. Could it be that Jesus doesn't just want fans? He wants followers. A lot of people are fans of Jesus. Oh, he's a great guy. Woohoo, Jesus! Jesus doesn't want fans, he wants followers. In fact, look at verse 17. Look back at your scripture with me, verse 17. Actually, let's read this together. Uh, This is what Jesus replies to Peter. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus sees something in Peter's response that's so genuine and so authentic that it had to come from God. If he can look into his soul, he knows what his motivation is. Maybe the question that Jesus asked that day was a question that only God could answer through Peter. It's obvious that to Jesus that Peter's been hanging out with Dad. Peter's been hanging out with his father or he wouldn't know he's had this revelation that none of the other disciples have. Isn't it true that there's some questions in our lives that we need to go to God for? Aren't there some questions in our lives that only God can answer? You can't treat God like a microwave and zap your prayers. 
Give it to me now. Jesus is not a vending machine. God's not a vending machine. He's a person in the flesh here in this story to have a relationship with, and that's what he loves about Peter's response. Aren't there some questions that only God can answer? Questions like, who am I? Questions like, what is my purpose in life? Questions like, what should my priorities be? Or questions like, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Not your parents' answer, not your spouse's answer, not your small group leader's answer, not what you read in a book, not what you heard in a song, not what you heard on a mission trip five years ago, not what your former preacher said, not what anybody else said. Is it real for you? What about you? Jesus asks Peter. And he asks us, what about you? You see, the incredible thing is that Jesus never told Peter what to say. None of them had gone through Tough Questions 101 with Jesus. That class had not been offered yet. Peter is operating not on just what he's heard Jesus say about his relationship to God. Peter has been watching Jesus' life. Peter is operating on what he's seen rather than just what he was told to believe, and maybe that's the point. Maybe knowing Jesus is about a first-hand experience rather than second- and third-hand rumors about him. Maybe discipleship is also more about what's caught than what's taught. Of course, it would have been much easier for Jesus to, to just one day stop the guys and say, okay, guys, uh, huddle up, team. Uh, here we go. And uh, okay, listen up. Here's today's lesson, uh, followers. Um, just in case anyone ever asks who I am, here's what I want you to say. Okay, I'm, you probably don't understand it, but here's what I want you to say. Tell them, I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God. Okay, all together now, I am the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Right, okay. And then they're just little robots walking around, right? Is that what Jesus really wants for his followers? Instead, Jesus says, follow me. I'm not going to give you all the answers. Christianity is not going to solve all your problems. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and be in a relationship with me and learn along the way. Jesus says, live life with me for two years and then I'm going to ask, so what do you think? What do you think? Maybe leadership is a little bit more about what's caught than what's taught. Okay, think about it this way. Let's say that you're numbered. Do we have any dads here today? Any dads? How about moms, too? We can include moms in this. Parents. Okay, awesome. So you're a parent. Well, we'll just use uh, dad for this example. Let's say that your number one desire in life is to be a great husband and to be a great father. I think that's a good goal for a lot of men in the room. That is your number one desire in life. That's what you strive for every single day. When your life on this earth is done, you want written right there on your tombstone, I was a good husband, I was a great father. That's what I want to be known by. That's all that matters. That's what you want for your wife and your kids to believe about you in the bottom of their hearts. Not because you told them to, but because they actually believe it. So imagine this is one way to do it. One day, you uh, pull the family together and you're all sitting there around the dinner table and you're hanging out and you've got your wife and your two or three kids and you're sitting there and say, okay team, um, here's how it's going to go. So I have a very important announcement for you tonight, family. It's family announcement time. I just want you to all believe whatever I'm about to tell you. Okay, dad, we'll go along with that one. Um, I, I, if anybody ever asks, all I want you to believe is, is what I say here. 
I am a great husband and a wonderful father. Got it? Okay, family, all together now. So let's say it together. My dad is a great husband and a wonderful father. Yes, my dad is a great husband and a wonderful father. So if anyone ever asks, you know, who's that guy, you can just say, that's my dad, and he's a great husband, and he's a wonderful father to me. By the way, this is not official marital advice uh, from your pastor, so there should have been a warning, don't try this at home. Um, How ridiculous would that be, right? That's not how you lead people. You don't force them what to believe. Of course, you wouldn't do that. If you really want your wife's affection, if you really want your kids' respect and allegiance to believe it and say it from the very core of their being, if you want this truth to be so deeply embedded in who they are, you can't just tell them you're a good father. You have to father them. You can't just say, I am a great spouse. Be a great spouse. Model for people what you want them to believe about you. You might say that respect and trust and love are caught more so than taught. Whether you're a parent or a spouse or a teacher or a construction worker or a barista or a student or a friend, maybe the way, maybe the way to truly get people to believe what you want them to believe, whether it's evangelism for our faith or anything in your life, maybe the way to get truly, truly get people to believe what you want or follow you is not by force or guilt or not even by telling them that they should, but by loving and investing and serving it in their lives so well that they cannot help but want to emulate the very life that has transformed them. Maybe that's the way to transformation. It's not by force or guilt or coercion or not even by telling them they should, but by loving and investing and serving in them so well that they cannot help but want to model the life that's transformed them. If that's the heart of leadership, then why would it be different for the greatest leader of all time? I believe the confession that Peter gave that day is great, has been labeled the great confession because in some little way, Jesus knows he has reproduced himself in Peter. That's a word we don't use around church a lot. Yeah, I went to church today and my pastor talked about reproduction. (laughs) Wake up, people, reproduction. Okay, here we go. Um, Jesus has reproduced himself in Peter. You might think, oh, that's great. That's the heart of Christianity. That's the heart of being a disciple. You make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's, what the, that's the reality that Jesus is trying to usher in here. And he's like, oh, yes, Peter, you got it. That's the first step, believing in who I am so that you know who you are. This is not a student repeating a memory verse back that you learned in Sunday school. Remember, the invitation to Christianity is an invitation to relationship. To relationship. This is an intimate friend confessing his love. Not in some weird way. In the deepest kind of love possible. I will follow you no matter what. The invitation of Christianity is to move from 
I got to, to I get to. The invitation of Christianity is to move from duty to delight. In that moment, it was real for Peter. Is it real for you today? Is it real for you? That's the question that was asked to a young guitarist who stepped into a studio. He was all dressed in black, and he, he nervously stepped into a studio back in 1954 with some canned gospel tunes that he was singing, copied, of course, from other singers. They weren't his own songs, because it wasn't really real to him yet. He was hoping to make it big. There was nothing wrong with the songs that this guy had, expect, sec, expect that they weren't his. <laughs> they were copies. They were reruns. But there was something much deeper. There were some beliefs, some things much deeper inside of him that needed to get called out. And thank God that the producer that day told him, I'm not going to record your music unless it's real. Unless there's substance to it. Unless there's a backbone to it. And thank God that day that the producer called him out or the world might have never known Johnny Cash. So let's take a look at this clip at his first attempt in the studio that day and ask yourself, what is it that's at the deepest part of you today? As the producer talks to Johnny and the band, ask yourself, is it real for him? And more importantly, is it real for me? Let's take a look. Something real, something deeper. Johnny, that's the kind of song that people want to hear. In fact, that's the kind of song, that's the kind of confession that Jesus was looking for that day. Something different, something real, something deep inside of you. What is that today? Is this just one more Sunday? Is this just one more social event that you go to during the week? Or is it deeper than that? Is there a backbone? Is there meat? Is there substance behind your relationship with God today? What is that song in Johnny Cash language? What is that song that is dying to get out of you, but you're just copying everyone else's? You're just going through the motions, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, singing somebody else's song, vicariously living through someone else's faith. And God agrees. Thank you. We do that sometimes, don't we? We live through other people's faith journey. Is it real? What is your song? Jesus is asking you, is it just one more thing that you do? Is it just a time to hang out with other people? What is the song today? What is the song today that only you can sing? Because you have a relationship to have with God today that only you can have. That only you can have with the God that created you. What is that today? Maybe it's time today to stop living off the fumes of your parents' faith, your college faith, your old church, your mission trip five years ago, and say, God, I don't want to settle for rumors of you. I want you today. I want a fresh encounter with the spirit of the living God. And God, I want what you think of me to be the deepest thing about me. Not what everybody else says. Not what the world tells me who I am. 
God, who you say I am. And for every single one of us that today, you are his son and you are his daughter. That defines our life. That's a question that only God can answer. Because even when we're on the journey for a while, it's easy to, it's easy to forget, to get derailed just like Johnny did, to, to forget about those things. Last Sunday, I had the incredible privilege of baptizing nine of our brothers and sisters in Christ right down in the Raccoon River. So give God praise for that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a few of you were down there, and uh, we're standing there on the beach, and the heavens opened up, and a dove came down, and you missed it. You'll have to come next time. Um, God shows up, folks. Um, so we're out there on the beach, and we're hanging out, and one by one, they're walking out to me in the water, and their friends and family are standing on the beach and just celebrating and clapping, and the security guard comes over, and he's like, wow, this is pretty cool. And he stays the rest of the time because he wanted to know what was going on. Because when God shows up, incredible things happen. And so as one of the final uh, people that's getting baptized comes out to me, and uh, we'll just, Randy, we'll call him. And, and Randy comes out to me, and I'm about, I don't know, 20 feet out in the water, and we're both kind of up to our waist, and we're just standing there hanging out. And he comes out, he's got this big old grin on his faith and a, uh, face, and a big part of baptism is confession. It's saying, this is what I believe. This is who I am. I'm laying it out there. This is not a, faith is not a private thing. There's 25 people standing on the beach and I don't care what they think. This is what I believe about my Savior. And so he comes out and uh, I just simply ask him, Randy, is there anything that, that uh, I'm kind of holding him and I say, is there anything you want to say to God? It sounds like I'm going to kill him or something. Is there anything you want to say before you die? Um, well, he kind of did underneath the waters. I said, Randy, is there anything that you want to say to God before we do this. And so far of the eight people that had gone before him, nobody had taken me up on that offer. So I just threw him down uh, and brought him back up. And he says, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there's something I want to say. And he just lifts up his arms and just with this huge beaming smile on his face, he looks up and I don't know if it was sunny that day or not, but I could have sworn it was and the doves up there and the Holy Spirit. And he just looks up and I don't know, I can't remember this exactly, but he just closed his eyes and he starts to cry. And just with all the authenticity in the world, this guy I'd never met before just starts to rip me up. Because sometimes for pastors, we get derailed once in a while. And we need a wake-up call. And this former alcoholic and drug addict and, and, and dealing with sexual issues and all sorts of things looks up into the sky and he just says, thank you, Jesus, that I get to get baptized today. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed and Jesus, thank you for changing my life. I'm just so, I'm so thankful to be standing here today. And I am like losing it. I can't tell what's the raccoon water and what are my tears and I'm just losing it. And he turns to me with this big smile on his face. He goes, John, was that okay? <laughs> and I go, no, make it more Christian sounding. No, I didn't say that. I said, no, no, Randy. That was perfect. That was perfect. And I said, I love you, brother. And he said, I love you too. It was perfect because an ordinary man confessed his faith in an unordinary God who's capable of taking anybody, anybody, and, and the, the old life goes to death. And when Randy comes up out of the water, 
He's a brand new man. He's brand new. It was almost like Peter said that day. It was almost like Jesus said to Peter, and I could almost hear Jesus saying that, not even knowing what I was going to preach on. Blessed are you, Randy. Blessed are you, my son, because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by your Father in heaven. Randy'd spent some time with Dad. It's funny how the people that we don't think have anything to teach us are the people that have the most to teach us. That's pretty incredible. The kind of um, joy and passion that Randy had in the water that day doesn't come from repeating what he heard somebody else say. That was, that was about the realest thing I ever heard in my life. Folks, you can't teach intimacy. I don't know if there's a more important thing I could tell you today. You can't teach intimacy, and it's the very thing that you were created for. I can't teach you how to be intimate with God. You have to go do it. You have to go be with your dad. And that's my challenge to you today. That kind of love and authenticity for God is caught, not taught. It's caught by spending time with your Savior. Randy had been with Jesus. Peter had been with Jesus. And that's my prayer for us as a church, that we would be with him before we think we have to do anything and accomplish anything for him to earn his love. It became real for Johnny Cash. It became real for Simon Peter. It became real for Randy, waist deep in the water that day. Is it real for you? Is it real for you? Let's, let's stand and pray together.